Hello, adventurers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 21 of the World of Azuria podcast. My name is Beth Ball, and I'm the author of the Age of Azuria, a big fantasy series, which we'll be exploring in this show. In some episodes, we'll be swept away into the magical world of Azuria as I read chapters from the novels and stories. In others, we'll dive into the lore behind Azuria, and I'll answer your questions about the world, characters, and more. If you enjoy epic fantasy worlds, immersive settings, nature-based magic, and vivid characters, then this podcast is for you. In our second season, we're traveling through Buried Heroes, book one in the Age of Azuria series. In today's episode, Ieliath makes a second attempt to convince Turdok of the rightness of the Druid's cause and investigates some disturbing news she learns from Linolin. But before we dive in, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to those who have left a rating or review of the podcast. You taking the time to do so means so much to me. If your podcast app supports ratings and or reviews, please take a moment to share what you enjoy about the show. And if it doesn't, please do subscribe and share the episode with a friend who enjoys epic fantasy. I hope you enjoyed last week's bonus episode from the Tree of Silver. Finally, to discover what happens next before new episodes are released every Tuesday, you can find Buried Heroes for free at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite book retailer. Let's start our adventure. Half of the loggers had turned in for the night as Yeliath and Marcone followed Flick to the unoccupied tent. What happened to your friend? Yeliath asked. Is he all right? Not a logging accident or anything of the kind, miss, he explained. Being from Linolin, like you, he was called back with the reserves. The reserves? What do you mean? The kings expanded his navy and batch of foot soldiers. Smith left two days ago. They're preparing for war. Flick quickly built a fire in the ring before the tent. War? That couldn't be possible. Who would they be fighting unless Linolin had been attacked? Did others mistransmigrate as she had? War with whom? Hadvar. There's rumors all over the country. King came back early from their festival absolutely furious. That's why we've had to increase production even more than we had before. Need more ships than he'd first thought. Eliath stared into the freshly laid fire and ignored Mercone's inquiring looks. He asked Flick a few more questions to cover up her rudeness. Linolin couldn't be going to war with Hadvar. Their northern neighbors were endlessly more powerful. At sea, they stood a chance, but over land, it would be a slaughter. What had happened that would drive King Arantis to such a step? Maybe Flick was mistaken, and there was a trick involved somehow, another reason the lumber was being requested with such haste. A hollow ache settled in the pit of Yeliath's stomach, and she could only pick at the food Marcone prepared for her, despite their long walk to the camp earlier that day. You seem shocked by his news, lady. Why? Linolin is a peaceful nation, and King Arontus is wise. He would not imperil the forest and the people of Trudid on purpose, and he certainly wouldn't send Linolin's troops on such a foolhardy mission. Maybe he doesn't know about the lumber. Everyone we've spoken to has said their orders come from the king, but you think he's unaware of what's being demanded in his name? I think my stepfather may be saying the orders are coming from the king, but sending them himself. Why would he do that? I've been trying to understand what he could gain. He doesn't do anything without that consideration. And he's the king's closest advisor and has been for many years. There isn't much oversight for his work because Arantis trusts him. And Hadvar is extremely wealthy. And is Linolin's a powerful military force? Only at sea. 
we'd be no match for them in a battle over land. The people leaders choose to keep by their side say as much about their own character and intentions for those under their power. How do you hold Arontas to be a good king when he is so influenced by your stepfather? He's always been kind to me, but I've only seen him a few times, and my mother respects him. My stepfather loathes me, but he thinks what he does helps little in. The city-state itself is wealthier under his influence, though he would never answer to the well-being of the people in the face of these charges. My sense is that the heir ward, the wealthiest district around the castle, has benefited from his assistance of the king more than the earth or water wards. Their residents aren't as well off as those who live close to Io Keep. However cruel he's been to you, then, you do not think your stepfather would resort to such extreme measures, risking the lives of thousands of soldiers? The Queen of Hadpar is a collected, intelligent ruler, conniving even. She imprisons many beneath her city to work in the mines, and much of Hadvar's trade is suspect. My stepfather, despite his shrewd mind for money, is careful to toe the line of the law, and he usually thinks about both long- and short-term gains. Something must have happened at the Festival of Renewal. It's an extreme insult to turn to a course of war when one is meant to be promising another year of trade, diplomacy, and partnership. Elioth bit her lower lip, pondering. Is it possible Flick's friend was mistaken? Who would be more likely to declare war? Resorting to military conflict seemed a rash and windless choice for both sides. Even if there was a disagreement among the leaders, I don't see... She frowned. What if Hadvar declared war against us? Her heart sped up. Linolinian forces advancing on Hadvar would be its own form of recklessness, but Hadvarian forces advancing on the city? The people would be slaughtered, as Mercone had described, only by living soldiers rather than hordes of undead. Linolin had been built for beauty, not for might. Mercone laid a comforting hand on her arm. We don't know enough yet to determine what's happening either way. Intruded, the mayor is sure to know, is he not? I believe so, yes. You're worried for your people, lady, as is right for you to be. But let us wait till we've spoken to others and been able to confirm this report. Calling up forces could be a precautionary measure rather than a response to an immediate threat. Flames burning around the city gates, turning the pale gray stone black, people screaming in the streets, fleeing in terror. These were scenes from her books, not for inside Linolin's walls. I don't want us to be at war. I know that you don't. Marcon squeezed her arm, reassuring her. If your king is the ruler you say he is, neither does he. Flick stopped by their tent the next morning before he traveled into the woods with the other loggers. He directed them to the nearest route to Trudid, a shortcut that would shave two hours from their journey. What if we followed the loggers instead and tried to speak with Turdok one more time? Elioth asked after Flick bid them farewell. I don't think it would do any harm, and it could help matters, Marcon said. He seems the kind of man to appreciate persistence. Do you think he'll be more willing to listen to us this time, if I approach it differently? It is certainly possible, lady. I should have been more cautious before. Mara's been so kind to me, she didn't seem the kind of person to hold a prejudice against someone, but I hadn't adequately considered her feelings toward loggers. They packed their belongings and followed the workers, who were trickling down a path into the stormside forest. When I was little, Maman told me legends of the tree protectors, forest spirits and ancient walking trees who would enact the will of the woods. 
She was curious about elves and the old stories when she was younger. That's how she knew so many tales. My grandmother forbade her from studying them, so she read in secret. The early morning breeze stirred the leaves around them. Elioth paused on the path and closed her eyes. Before their move, she and Mama would play games in the forest behind Aurora, reenacting the ancient stories her mother read to her each afternoon. Elioth opened her eyes and relocated herself in the present, inside a northern branch of the same forest. The one thing she was adamant about with my stepfather when we were back in Ioquipe was that I'd be able to study what I wished so long as I also dedicated myself to the subjects they selected. And what did you choose to explore? Languages and cultures first. Katerina and I loved to read, and her brother Erevar would bring back novels and stories from the far reaches of Caldara for us. She used to travel, but she prefers to stay in Ioquipe now. They granted me a personal section of the castle gardens as well. I wonder who's tending it now. Surely Mathilde had found someone she thought was worthy of the task. Do you miss your home? Marcon asked. You're asking because I sound nostalgic? He nodded. That is part of it, yes. Her recent goodbyes tugged on her heart. I miss Katerina and Skad. I haven't many friends in the castle. That tends to happen when you grow up an outcast. Or an orphan. Marcone smiled. But here you are, well on your way to finding a new home with the druids. I have been scared to allow myself to hope for that. They could easily change their minds, or Mara could be overruled in the council. Mara doesn't seem the type to easily take no for an answer. Elioth laughed. No, I'm sure you're right. Then neither will we. Her happiness at this thought was cut short by the sounds of the logging ahead of them. Axes thudded into the trunks of ancient trees. What began as grunts of protest as the blades struck thick layers of bark amplified into screams of pain as the axes cut deeper into the heartwood. Elioth stumbled, nauseated by the cries, and clung to one of the smaller trees that had survived the purge of its elders. The sapling's fear trembled under her fingertips. She laid her forehead against the tree and whispered to calm it. You're all right. I'm not going to hurt you. We're trying to stop them. The sapling quivered as another tree howled in agony at the sharp teeth gouging into her sides. Lady? Marcone grasped her elbow, trying to support her. Elioth wrapped her arm around her stomach, the other still holding the frightened tree. Marcone, I can hear them. His brow creased. I can hear the trees as they're dying. Marcone's expression reflected her horror. Should we go? Do you still want to try to speak to Turdok? Yes, we must. Elioth plugged her ears and moved back onto the path. She couldn't tell if the muted cries she still heard were echoes from the clearing or her memory. Once inside the logging area, Elioth stayed as far as she could from the active sites. At the center of the clearing, Turdok stood on a wooden platform. He turned in slow circles, keeping a close eye on the work, barked orders now and again, and sent runners out to the various teams. Turdok noticed their approach and observed them curiously, especially Elioth's hunched, ear-shielding walk. But even with her ears stopped, she couldn't drown out the sudden explosion of screams of both trees and people on the opposite side of the clearing. The half-orc vaulted over the platform railing and landed, already running, ten feet below. A large oak was falling differently than they'd intended, into the clearing, and workers scattered beneath her splayed branches. Marcone sprang forward the moment Turdok landed. He shouted instructions over his shoulder, but they were lost in the chaos. 
The overseer flung himself forward and shoved two men out of the way as the tree crashed to the ground. The branches rebounded after they struck the earth, and Turdok disappeared beneath them. Her companion was swift and arrived at Turdok's side only moments after the tree collapsed on him. Lie still, Marcon ordered. The frightened worker stared at him, unmoving. Marcon shoved past the arm-sized appendages of the thick branch and wrapped his arms around where the branch met the trunk. He looked up at Aeliath and inclined his head to where Turdok lay. Get someone to help you and stabilize the branches against him. His back cannot move. Marcon directed a few others to help him with the ends of the branch. Aeliath nodded. She dragged over to a woman who had been running toward the site just ahead of her. Will you help me? I. The woman set to rolling up her sleeves and Aeliath knelt beside Turdok. The limb had crushed his arm and he was bleeding heavily. His face was covered in scratches and blood dripped from a cut across the side of his head. Why are you here? He grumbled as his eyes tried to focus on Aeliath. I owed you a better apology. <laughs> You've come just in time. The other logger held tight to Turdok's shoulders and braced his head against her leg. Hold his arms and pin his left thigh, she instructed Aeliath. He groaned as she complied. Marcone counted off and the half-orc yelled again as the branches lifted. The pieces that had pierced into his skin ripped out and more blood spurted from the new wounds. Dark snowflakes sprinkled across the edges of Aeliath's vision. You're not the most helpful assistant, are you? Turdok's voice boomed beside her, and Aeliath slowly opened her eyes. Marcone knelt on her other side and held a cold cloth against her forehead. Are you all right, lady? He watched her closely, worried. I haven't seen blood do that before. Her head spun again. Easy there. Marcone's gravelly voice was grounding. She smiled weakly at him. Don't think about it. She blinked slowly. Marcone's blue eyes were pretty. This one says that you've come to bother me again. Turdok's gruff voice interrupted her assessment. Strips of white gauze stretched across the half-orc's brow, and his arm rested in a sling. Have you a camp doctor or a medic from Trudid? Elith looked around at the collection of loggers for the person who had seen to Turdok's injuries. Mercifully, in the excitement, the saws and axes had stopped. The clearing was calm. Someone's been to fetch her, but we were spared the rush with your fellow here. Turdok nodded at Marcone and winced as the movement tugged against his stitches. I didn't realize you were a medic, too. Had that been a normal job for military leaders in ancient times? Once or twice she'd overheard Stormguard Basha instructing teams in preparation for emergency care situations, but he would not have been the person she would have selected to hold a small needle and stitch someone back together. It was a surprise aptitude of mine that I had a few opportunities to exercise, Marcon said. There weren't always healers to spare, and my team was more mobile, so long as I and a few others could take care of moderate wounds. He flipped the cloth on her head. The coolness soothed her senses enough for her to sit up. Maybe we can avoid telling the druids about me being squeamish so they don't have extra reasons to think I don't fit. Your secret is safe with me, lady. He knelt in front of her, waiting to make sure she hadn't risen too quickly. Will the other two men be all right? Marcone nodded. Turdok pushed them far enough to be out of any real danger. One scraped up, but he'll mend just fine. That was very brave of you, Elioth turned back to the half-orc, to throw yourself in the way of the tree to save them. I look after those in my charge. I can see that. She took a deep breath. I wanted to apologize again for how I spoke to you yesterday. 
I made assumptions that were unfounded and unfair. It's clear that you care about the people who work for you. Turdock squinted at her, suspicious, and waited. About the forest, he raised an eyebrow. I understand that you know what you're doing. You wouldn't be delving in so quickly or so far without explicit orders to do so. True. What of it? If the mayor were to change his mind and make the logging less of an emergency, or if the king's timetable shifted, would that cause hardship for you and your team? Would the loss of work be difficult? Eliuth strove to keep her tone even and calm. She didn't want Turdock to hear a reprisal of her accusations from the night before. We're asking questions now instead of making demands. Yes, I'm trying. The trees whispered to one another and swayed gently overhead. The corner of Turdock's mouth twitched. All right, then. To answer your question, no, we'd be all right. Plenty of works hereabouts, and slower cutting means we could return later instead of watching it dwindle and leaving naught but scraps for those who come after. Then we'll go speak to the mayor, Eliath said. Relief flowed through her. She'd be able to keep her promise to the little tree after all. And we'll send word if he's willing to listen. Best of luck to you, then. I'm not sure as it'll do any good. Turok shrugged and shook his head. It may not, but you heard us out. And that hadn't seemed very possible the evening before. Eliath smiled. Maybe there were more surprises where the mayor was concerned. That I did, but I was predisposed to your side. Flinden won't be. Thank you so much for joining me for today's adventure through Buried Heroes in the World of Azuria. If you'd like to find out more about me or my fiction, you can find me at bethballbooks.com. You can also find my books worldwide at your favorite bookstore or ask your local librarian to add them to the library catalog. To stay up to date with the world of Azuria and be the first to know about upcoming fiction projects, visit bethballbooks.com join. I would love for you to be a part of my reading community, The Story Enclave, and as a special thanks to you for a limited time, you'll receive a free ebook copy of Aurora when you sign up. Today's episode is sponsored by Amber Queen, book three in the Age of Azuria series. Amber Queen picks up our hero's stories after the events of Hedvarian Heist, book two. Amber Queen was just recently released at the end of August 2021, and I'm so excited for you to find out about this next phase of our hero's journey. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at BethBallAuthor or on Twitter at GroveGuardian, or you can email me Beth at BethBallBooks.com. If you enjoyed our time together today and would like to hear more stories set in Azuria, you can support the podcast on Patreon at Patreon.com slash GroveGuardianPress. Look for the Fae and Damon tiers. In our next episode, Werewolf Genevieve meets Sariel's strange companion in the wilds of Torstrayvon. This is also my last podcast episode recording in the house where I've recorded all of these podcast episodes and where I wrote the six books of the Age of Azuria so far. So that's both happy and sad, but the next time that I read something for you, as far as I know, um, I will be in a totally new place. The theme song for this podcast was created by Garrett Rose of The Bardic Inspiration, who you can find on Instagram or Patreon at The Bardic Inspiration. Happy travels, and I hope that we'll be adventuring together again soon.